Welcome back to another episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. Austin, can't put it any other way. It has been a crazy, crazy free agency for this NFL season, and we need to break it down. So welcome to the pod. For sure. Always happy to be here. All right, Austin, I want to get started because there's definitely a lot of moves to kind of look at, for better or worse, because there's definitely deferring opinions on those big blockbuster moves. I think the first one to start off with, just because it happened so early on, and with all the other crazy stuff that happened, nobody talked about it. I think the Russell Wilson trade to the Broncos is probably the first one I want to hit home on, just because of everything that went wrong with both the Seahawks, the Broncos looked to upgrade a QB. What were your gen- your general thoughts on that move? Sure. Um I mean, my initial thought, uh, you know, like watching all the coverage on ESPN after the trade, I think it might look a little overblown. Uh, People are already talking about the Broncos being a Super Bowl contender, and I want to get it right off the bat. I don't think this trade makes them a Super Bowl contender. But uh, certainly a win for the Broncos when you look at the different sides. Uh, They got Russell Wilson in a fourth-round pick this year, and then Denver had to give up Drew Locke, Noah Fant, uh, I think Shelby Harris, too. Uh, two first-round picks, and then I think a couple second-round picks. Like, it was a hefty haul for Russell Wilson. But the thing with the Broncos is, historically, like, ever since Peyton's retirement, they've been a pretty good defensive team, but with no consistency at the quarterback position. They've gotten horrible play. I mean, it's been a carousel at the quarterback position for them. So, hopefully this move adds that legitimacy that they're looking for for a couple of years to... Because, I mean, I, they've got some great guys as far as offensive weapons. Big fan of Cortland Sutton, and I think Jerry Judy is a great uh, breakout candidate. Uh, it hurts them losing Noah Fant, but the receiving work that they might be getting out of Javante Williams, who's usually a power back, but uh, looks to be getting more involved in the receiving game. Uh, I think this offense could start to see a little bit of explosiveness. Like, I don't think it's going to hit that level of the 2015 Broncos where Peyton was just swinging it. But... Um, Honestly, I think it would still be a great upgrade for them for a defensive-oriented team, usually. Yeah, the QB debacle with Denver has been interesting because if you actually look at the numbers here, ever since they had Peyton Manning, and keep in mind, this wasn't like prime Peyton Manning. This is like noodle arm Peyton Manning toward like the last two years especially. You're starting starting quarterbacks for Denver where Brock Osweiler, dear God, that, Mm. that worked pretty horribly. Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco for eight games in 2019. Now, that was one I totally forgot yeah. about. That's a, I, remember, I have another pod, and we have a Joe Flacco award for I can't believe this guy's on this team because he's on so many random teams now that it's like a basketball reference page. That includes – and then not even including Drew Locke, Brandon Allen. They had Bridgewater last year that went back to Locke. So it's been horrible ever since yeah. that one Super Bowl ages ago. And I think they were basically saying, as you put it, we had a strong defense – their weapons on offense are amazing, but you can't win. You can only win so many games and go eight and nine or nine and eight every year when your QB is Brock Osweiler or Case Keenum or in this case Drew Locke. Yeah, I mean their quarterback situation got even worse. I mean, let's not forget one game wonder Kendall Hinton, yeah. one of my favorite quarterbacks of all time. <laughs> and, uh, it's been a dumpster fire. I mean, for lack of a better term, none of those quarterbacks inspire his confidence, except maybe Joe Flacco five years before he played in Denver. But uh, that's not who they got. So you know, good for them. I like to see what Denver can do with a real quarterback. I will say the one problem I have with this trade for the Broncos is you said a kind of best with the best framework. What does this move do for Denver? Because 
I would still argue they're the fourth best team in their own division. And we saw this with the NFC West last year, and we're going to see it this year with the AFC West, where if you have four awesome teams in a division, no more than three of them will make the playoffs. Like It will be rare for, out of all the seeds available, that all four teams in that division will make the playoffs easily because they're playing each other half the games. Like At certain points, like when it comes to the tiebreakers, they're going to lose out. Like, is Denver even close to being in the playoff picture? Because I would think it's a little overreactionary to think, like, oh, this makes them a guaranteed playoff team. Yeah. Uh, like I said earlier, I'm not buying the Super Bowl contender narrative whatsoever. Uh, I will say it does seem like kind of a hot take for uh, you to say that the Broncos are going to be the best, like the worst team in that division. But uh, honestly, I agree with you. Uh, Broncos are still fourth in the AFC West for me. Uh, I do think they could take some divisional games, which that's what it's going to take for them to make the playoffs. They're not making the playoffs going 0-6 in their division. However, they automatically have one of the best home field advantages in the NFL, playing a mile high. Uh, because, I mean, that altitude, players will talk about, that makes a difference in their conditioning. So the Broncos immediately, just based on their location, uh, definitely can steal a home game against almost any team in the NFL any given year. So it's really not out of the question to make them a playoff team, but uh, I do think they're going to have to steal a game or two. They don't, on paper, grade out to me as a team that inspires a ton of confidence in me. I see them, especially losing big pieces like Noah Fant and Shelby Harris. I mean, I see them right around where they were before this trade, maybe just one or two games better, which isn't enough. I would argue at best the most ideal case for Denver would be second in the division because the only way I could see that is if the Chargers for some reason their coaching situation their chemistry maybe falls off and for Kansas City they're my red flag team this year because typically a dynasty in football is like three to four years you compare that to basketball where it could be like seven or eight where they've already hit that point and maybe losing Tyreek Hill and yeah they shook up on the hot. Yeah, like they they can easily I if it don't call me crazy, but they could go like 10 and 7 or n- even 9 and 8 this year and it wouldn't be like overwhelmingly shocking. But I still think a team like for instance the Oakland Raiders are easily or the Las Vegas Raiders, I still call them by their old name. Yeah. I still think Las Vegas is at least better than Denver. And again, like the case we're talking about so small, I probably see Denver no more no higher than like third in the division because it's a stacked division with a bunch of young QBs. And I think there is concern with Russell Wilson being in his mid thirties, is almost mid thirties, and he's still a couple years away from like the past MVP performances we've seen before. Sure. Uh, honestly, this division is great to talk about, and there's going to be a running theme throughout this entire episode. I believe that uh, this has been the craziest offseason in NFL history. There's not a doubt about it. But four of the most interesting teams to talk about are the AFC West. So this division is definitely tougher to predict than normal. It's probably my favorite division going into this year, uh, just because of how different it's going to look. I mean, all four teams made major changes with Kansas City trading Tyreek Hill, Chargers bringing in Quill Mack, which almost next to nobody's talking about, which shows you just how crazy this offseason has been. That Quill Mack moving teams doesn't make headlines anymore. And, uh, of course, Vegas, they made... A lot of great moves. Vegas is one of my big winners of this offseason so far. Yeah, that, that's the best way to put it because there was actually a segment earlier today on some other, like, it was either a podcast or a website, and they were doing an all-pro team with just the AFC West, and they almost had a full team because you could do that. It's incredible. Like, this division's going to be fun. So it's definitely tougher to predict, but that's why we are circling back to earlier. Denver doesn't inspire a ton of confidence in me because, I mean, I like their team. It's definitely an improvement. But um, 
playing in that division is just it might be insurmountable for them. To play devil's advocate, there is still a case, of course, for Denver. Like, I think we have to... Of course. We, yeah, we, like, I think people kind of crap on the move just because, oh, they gave up three first-rounders, like the asset play. In reality, Denver went from Drew Locke to Russell Wilson. That goes from, like, the 25th-ish best QB to, like, a, maybe a top-10 guy. And at his best, I would argue, he's, like, top seven or eight. And we've seen this. Like, Russell Wilson in the past, when you have a great defense and tons of weapons around him... Their teams have been good. What, they won a Super Bowl and they almost won a second one. Like, it, it, we can easily see Denver, like, they're definitely a swing team. They can, I could see them missing the playoffs outright if things play horribly. But they could make, like, a, win a couple playoff games. Like, it's not totally out of the cards yet. There's some other teams out there that, you know, aren't doing so hot. So, they're definitely a wild card team. But you also mentioned a big one, which I think is this Raiders move to get, uh, to get Adams, Devontae Adams from the Packers. Another move where totally out of left field – we think that he's going back to Green Bay, but they signed Aaron Rodgers' huge contract. There's definitely going to be some reports down the road that there was some beef in that locker room. And the Raiders gave up just a first and a second for, what, arguably a top three receiver? Because I think he's probably no worse than Cup. Like, and he's to younger. Me, to me, he grates out as the single best receiver in the league. And honestly, it's I hate saying that it's one of the big steals of the offseason getting like such a marquee guy. I tend to look for more under radar plays. When you can get the best wide receiver in the NFL in his prime for a first and second round pick, seeing what some of these other players have gone for in trades over the past two years, it's uh, it's a steal. It really is. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, I feel like they also really underrated move they made was uh, swapping out Anika Gakwe for Rocky Sin because uh, that's secondary for the Raiders. That w- there were some issues there. They had a great pass rush. They had a pretty good run defense this past year, but their secondary is really was holding that defense back. So to upgrade there and then replace what they lost in Ngakwe by signing Chandler Jones, who they're similar players, but to me uh, also grades out as an upgrade. To be able to fully upgrade that defense and then go get Devontae Adams, I mean, I think they're making great moves. Well, and you forget the the Josh McDaniels hire, where like you put this offensive-minded genius with the best weapon probably in the NFL – with the QB that, by the way, with not too many star players last year, almost beat the Bengals who made the Super Bowl. Like, it's not, like, it, it's a good infrastructure. They've definitely done well post-Gruden with fixing all that all that situation, adding weapons, and trusting Carr, more importantly. It's definitely a crazy division. The team that I think is the wild card is probably the Chiefs, honestly, because we saw it this year where, I don't know what happened, but the tires just, like, kind of lost all sorts of momentum whatsoever for that team. And I think yeah. there is a huge concern for regression there. Uh, I think the Chiefs' biggest concern this past season was that Holmes looked human at times, which it feels so wrong to say about a player when they play like at a pedestrian level or slightly above average that uh, they fell off so hard. But that's just the level Mahomes is playing at. He still was a good quarterback this year. But um, the fact that statistically he this was his worst year uh, inspired you know something in that front office to make some changes. Uh, so they decided to swap out essentially Tyree Kill for a ton of picks and Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, personally, I don't necessarily understand it. There has to be more of this story. 
because while I understand the fact that they got an absolute haul out of picks, I believe they got five picks in total for Tyree Kill from Miami. Yeah, but I'll, I'll, I'll interject real quick. It wasn't still crazy yeah. value because I think it was a first, a sec. It was two seconds. It was a first, and then it was like a fourth and sixth rounder. So it wasn't even yeah. like it wasn't even the quantity of the the uh, quantity of the picks because three of those are kind of duds and. I don't think the Dolphins are caring about their first rounder this year, even their second rounder. Like, you got Tyree Kill in his prime. I don't think they're complaining. Yeah, but uh, and Tyree Kill was a late-round pick himself, so I understand Chiefs fans, you know, trying to calm themselves down, looking at that draft hall, going, oh, we have total home run potential out of these picks. But the thing is, there's no such thing as a guaranteed draft pick in the NFL, especially in these upcoming years where this potential draft class is probably not going to be as great as draft classes of the past. Uh, you know, COVID definitely had something to do with that. But, um, you know, the fact that these drafts aren't guaranteed to be star-studded, so, you know, these picks may not grade out as being all pros like Tyreek Hill was. There's no such guarantee. So to give away your guaranteed thing, the thing that worked, like part, like what really gave their offense their identity is definitely Tyreek Hill. It, it doesn't make too much sense to me. Yeah, and there's a couple big – this is definitely going to be our tangent part of the episode, but there's some big takeaways from – because the Tyree kill embodies what this free agency period was. Number one, the big thing that stood out to me – Yeah, number, number one, the thing that stood out to me is that the NFL free agency looked more like NBA free agency where it was all player empowerment. And my theory is I think it started off a couple of years ago with quarterbacks where nowadays I think QBs have a lot more say in the, in the front office than even a decade ago. And it's diffused to the next group, which is running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, kind of like that offensive core. The other thing that stood out to me is that you see this with Tyreek Hill. From what I, from what I can infer, I think he saw the Devontae Adams trade and the contract, and he's like, hey, Chiefs, I'm better than Devontae Adams. You will pay me like Devontae Adams. And when they didn't, he was like, okay, I want out because you don't trust me. And that's what we're seeing nowadays with football where – because remember, I think the NFL is more structurally sound in terms of the owners have a lot of say. Coaches have a ton more say compared to any other sport. That's starting to kind of break away, and we're, we saw it this year in a magnitude, absolutely crazy free agency. Yeah, we're going to see players, and specifically if you're talking about Tyreek, like their uh, contract demands and how much money they want. That's going to matter more and more for two reasons. I mean, one, the cap is exploding, and it will continue to do so. The projected cap is going to keep like rising up and up at astronomical levels after it took a dip down last year after the 2020 season, how COVID interrupted that. But so to see uh, guys like Tyreek Hill actually get the money that they're asking for, because let's be honest, wide receivers have always been premium honest. It's just now the league is at a point where it's listening to them finally. Um, we're going to see a lot of that kind of player-oriented movement. It's going to be a lot of asking for trades. Uh, you know, the fact it's tough to call an NFL team a super team because it's a 53-man roster as opposed to a 13 or 14 in the NBA. But we're going to get closer to that than we ever have before. So it's exciting for the sport. But at the same time, there's definitely going to be a lot of contrarian opinions. This is my hot take for the day, but I honestly would not be surprised if in the next five years in the NFL, there's some sort of lockout. Because owners are going to be pissed that these players are just demanding out 
and players are going to be like, if the salary cap is rising, why are we getting paid more? And I feel like that's going to come because I don't believe the NFL's had a lockdown in a while, like any sort of like law, like NBA nineteen ninety nine half the season's gone, whatever. No, the last time it happened was in the nineties with the replacement players. Yeah, so I would not be surprised if it happens in this half decade coming up, just because of these shifting demands. And the other thing too that stood out to me is I think what we're seeing is that chemistry matters a lot more now, like continuity and basically teams staying together. You look at Kansas city and what made them so good is that the same core was together for half a decade. Whereas I think what happened with green Bay was that you have this very confusing personality, Aaron Rodgers, who basically kind of did like the, if you don't give me a lucrative, lucrative contract, I will not play. I don't know what he would have done, but 200 million for a 36 year old QB who is at some point going to fall off Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady here. And he takes up all the cap and screws up the rest of the team. Like these sorts of dynamics are something that I think football hasn't had to deal with in a while. And I think it's definitely going to come to head very soon. For sure. Uh, especially speaking on team continuity, uh, not to cycle back to Devonta Adams, but you know, some people forget that him and Derek Carr were college teammates. That probably had a lot to do with the fact that he ended up in Vegas to begin with. Chemistry does matter, especially between uh, passer and catcher. Uh, and then speaking on that Rodgers point, that really does matter. There's a reason why that the Patriots had such a long dynasty in a sport like football, where it's probably the hardest out of any of the big four American professional sports to maintain. It's because Brady, despite how good he is, never was the top paid quarterback in the league at any point in his career. He did that for a reason. He intentionally took pay cuts to open up cap space for his team to keep bringing him guys right on the edge of their prime and then cycle through guys to, you know, give him the highest Super Bowl window possible. That mentality with the cap exploding is becoming rarer and rarer. We're not going to see that kind of selfless player when it comes to, like, their money. And I don't want to give too much credit to Brady, considering he's married to someone who's worth at least twice as much as he is. If he really didn't need the money to begin with, <laughs> some of these players really do. So... You know, it really, this cap space issue is going to be more and more prevalent as time goes on with these cap changes. It's going to be interesting to see if there's any rules put in place when it comes to signing contracts and trades and all of these things, like additionally. You hit on two points I want to touch on before I have a new one that I got to break out. The first one's like, you bring up the college connection with Adams and Carr. It's like Kevin Durant and Kyrie. It's the new era of the NFL where these guys just know each other and have connections and they want to play with each other. And I think that's the NFL, at least from what I can recall, it's rare to have like, Oh, these guys played in college ages ago and they're reuniting. And I think we're going to see that a lot more. The other thing too, is I think people are bringing this up with Brady a lot. He retires. And I think part of it's that he didn't want to quit on football, whatever. I think a big reason why he came back is he's looking at the NF, the NFC landscape right now. And he's like, we could still win this. Because other than the Rams who lost some key guys, and they're going to be, they're going to probably taper off just a little bit. The Packers are a current hellhole. The Niners are going to start Trey Lance, potentially a QB. Like, that's a shocker. He's looking at this like, hey, I can win a ring at like 45 years old here. I, that Do you think that played into mind a bit? Um, honestly, it's an interesting take. Uh, there's definitely a talent discrepancy among teams between the AFC and the NFC. I mean, that AFC, especially at the quarterback position absolutely loaded if you ask me to give me like the top 10 quarterbacks i'd expect to see at least seven of them come from the afc if not more so 
you know, that definitely may have had something to do with Brady's decision. Personally, I think it had more to do with the way that Brady's retirement was announced in the first place. It was leaked by news sources, and Brady didn't have much control over it. And if we know anything about Tom Brady, that man is a perfectionist. He likes things his way or the highway. There's a reason he's been so successful. So I'm sure it bothered him that something as big as his retirement, you know, kind of fell out of control. So do part of me think that it was an ego thing for him to come back for one year just so he can retire again on his own terms? Absolutely, I do. But that may be the Saints fan of me talking and therefore the guaranteed Brady hater. I will say one big thing that starts me from this free agency period, this happens time to time with the NFL. I think you brought the good point in that people saw how weaker this draft was compared to other drafts. And the teams like the Raiders, the Colts, those middleman teams that either – could make if they make the playoffs they'll be frisky or they're contenders they need one more piece we're basically saying like if we're going to make an upgrade it's going to be through a mega trade or through free agency but not through the draft and i think teams i think the, the the evaluation of picks particularly this draft is absolutely astonishing that teams gave up this it's much for the, all these players yeah yeah picks are lower this year and just looking at one position in particular think about how many quarterbacks moved around i'm sure we can touch on that rapid fire later but the team, not only that were traded, but also signed to different teams. I mean, the quarterback situation has been absolutely crazy this offseason. And then compare that to this draft, where there is a very real chance that not a single quarterback gets taken in round one. I can't tell you the last time that's happened or if that's ever happened in NFL history. I really can't. Every draft that I could possibly remember, there's been a quarterback taken in round one. So to see like the most important position in all of sports potentially having its biggest down year in the draft and versus its most active year in terms of free agency and trades, it's not a coincidence. It's teams scrambling to find their new signal caller while they think they can't do that in the draft. Yeah, that was, that's definitely a big point. Like, the only QB I could see going up is, like, the guy from Liberty, and that would be, like, a low first rounder, unless a team really reached for him. Um, well, yeah, the problem with Willis is because he's had hot games, cold games, it's really teams are having a tough time of what to make of him yeah and also smaller school like how do you grade that against like kenny pickett who went to pittsburgh and at least that's a big school i think yeah i i definitely want to use this pod to focus on moves that happen because believe me i think we should there should be tons of episodes coming up on like how do these moves affect certain teams so i'll stick away from like how does this affect tua with the tyreek hill trend crap like that i think the other big move i think that i definitely want to cover is this out of the blue deshaun watson trade he gets the big contract, traded yeah. from Houston out of nowhere. We the legal stuff, of course, pending, and now you have Baker Mayfield. Like it, so much happened with Cleveland, where they went all in with this developing situation of Baker not liking the team and having distrust with the organization. Now they've got their guy Deshaun Watson, who at his best was a top seven guy. So that's another wild card there. Yeah. Uh- he got the most guaranteed money in NFL history. Uh, I believe his total contract is uh, around like the $230 million range. But the important thing here is because it's pending legal investigation, the cap number he's looking at for, the, for his first year is just over $1 million. That's how much he'd forfeit if he had to sit out the entire year. He'd be playing on a four-year $229 million contract. I understand that's rubbing a lot of people the wrong way, but – I mean, that's great news if you're Deshaun Watson's camp. Uh, you're basically uh, bulletproof in terms of losing money based on this wheel like issue because there's nothing found you know, in a criminal court. So now he's just dealing with uh, civil 
action. Yeah, so the, the league would, can still take action suspended, yeah. but that's not going to affect his contract much. It is a massive contract, just going to show how much the cap is exploding and how much more players are being valued now. Yeah, you hit the nail on the uh, hammer there where that's why I was going to go with this, where the NFL could still suspend him for whatever amount they want to, and that's definitely going to be a problem. But as of now, what we assume is going to happen is that you take away a year from that contract and the value per year goes up because he's not playing. He's definitely not going to play. I think he will get suspended at some point just because of the, the pending litigation. Yeah, but the we other- don't know how many games, but... Yeah, it probably will happen. But the other crazy thing is that now there's another good QB in a competitive market, like that. NFC, now the AFC North has Lamar Jackson and Joe Burrow, and now him. Like, well, Steve, I don't think Mike Trubisky. I think we're going to say is not in that caliber. But uh, like, that's Watch. another. That's I'm an dirty bitch. <laughs> but that's another division though, where you have these like three juggernaut QBs. And I don't think from that division, like two teams are going to even make it out. Like, it's going to be a hard division to kind of win out on. Yeah, um, because it's so competitive. And the thing is, you haven't even mentioned Baltimore, who's been sneaky quiet because they underperformed last year. They lost Lamar Jackson some time. But they also had one of my favorite moves of this offseason. Regrettably, the Saints lost Marcus Williams, but he found a great home in Baltimore at five years, 70 mil, which while it does sound like a lot of money for a player of his caliber and the way that players are getting paid now, kind of a steal especially when we're going to see in year three, year four of that contract, when his cap hits only around 13 mil and safeties of his caliber are probably going to be getting around 20 mil a year. It's going to be a value pick for them. And he really is a quality do it all safety at a position that Baltimore is desperately lacking at. So provided the market stay healthy for a year, hopefully the same can be said for Dobbins, um, big fan of Hollywood. I think Baltimore has a very good shot of winning that division. And yes, I know that the reigning AFC champions are also in that division. I do have a question for you because I think the the biggest move I have trouble grasping because I I go back and forth all the time is Matt Ryan to the Colts. Part of me is like, okay, you upgraded from Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan. I'd argue that's good. I think Matt Ryan's probably better than Carson Wentz today. And I think he's had a better career and all. But part of me, though, is also like another year of a stopgap QB where he's only on a one-year deal, you give up assets, and I don't know if that raises your floor or your ceiling. What were your thoughts on the Matt Ryan trade? Again, I'll try not to be biased when talking about Matt Ryan. (laughs) To me, this is the definition of a lateral move. They uh, absolutely trash Carson Wentz in the media. I'm not sure if you followed some of Jim Irsay's comments after acquiring Matt Ryan, but there have not been many nice things said about Carson Wentz recently, but it's kind of funny for me to see them go all the way out there to, you know, burn him at the stake and throw him under the bus to get a guy who, to me, is an older Carson Wentz. Like, he's he's not going to make them a playoff team. It was another thing. It was definitely to a much higher proportion than Wilson to the Broncos. But I feel like this is another thing that was overhyped by major media after the fact, just because it was something new and exciting, where my expectations for the Colts are exactly what they were last year. It is the Jonathan Taylor show, and I don't see them making the playoffs. That's a good point because I think this happens all the time with national media and big moves. It's always the name 
Like there's certain players that get traded. Yeah, it's it all what's new. What's new is interesting. Yeah, and you it's all, really and it's always step back to see the effects. And it's always a headline name too. Like it's like a guy that has a good resume. Like he won an MVP, made it to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Like he has like a yeah. like a he's like the Eli Manning of QBs. Another one of these guys where he just has the name to it and the the resume, but the product isn't good anymore. And I think that's the problem. And it's Atlanta. It's a small market for football. People weren't really talking about the Falcons last year to be quite frank because they were toward the bottom. So, I mean, that's an interesting one. By the way, there's breaking news on this pod. Who would have thunk it? Bruce Arians of Arizona is retiring, and Todd Boyles is taking the job as head coach. So, I guess we've, we have the debacle ended of the Bruce Arians-Tom Brady beef, which is good. <laughs> which, I mean, to me, honestly, uh, for my immediate reactions, because I'm also just seeing this now, uh, I don't see much changing with that offense. Well, Brady's first year, there is a very specific week. I don't remember exactly which one it is, but you can see things click. Because for the first half of that season, Brady's first season in Tampa Bay, they were running the Bruce Arians offense, which is very vertical, run and gun. It's the reason uh, Jameis Winston was 30 and 30, because he was heaving it down a lot. He threw for over 5,000 yards that season, had 30 interceptions, because a lot of it was big downfield shots. Some of them hit, some of them don't. If we know anything about Brady, he plays a very horizontal spread offense. He's very... He's a big fan of screens, dump offs, things like that. He methodically drives down the field. The reason the Bucks ended up winning that Super Bowl that first year is because they started playing a Brady-style offense. And you can very clearly see the difference. So uh, B.A. has always been QB coach and offensive guy. He didn't really have much say over the defensive Tampa Bay. And then, especially when Brady got there, he kind of took a backseat as far as the offense goes. So it's a big name. Like he, he's responsible for some great quarterbacks like Peyton Manning and Andrew Buck. So I wish him all the best, but um, it's not going to change much for the Bucs. Yeah, that's a good point there. There's two teams I think are interesting that I don't think are being talked about. I want to cover them. The first one's Arizona. Arizona's weird right now because they're this team that is going to be the great on paper. They'll win a bunch of games in the regular season, but I don't trust their coach in clutch situations. The Kyler Murray thing is weird. How the the whole contract thing like that could that could be the next Deshaun Watson of the guy like wanting out and getting traded or did it for whatever scenario there is. Is there any kind of bright future for Arizona here? Because I feel like they kind of lost out. Arizona is weird to think about because initially after the Super Bowl we had those issues with Kyler Murray and his social media and all this other stuff. You really thought that like oh well, this is going to be a big story of this offseason. And then these dozens upon dozens of moves and trades and all of these big marquee names started moving around. And everyone just seemed to kind of forget about Arizona. Because when you look at what they've done so far, I mean, it's not much. Like, they re-signed James Conner, they re-signed Zach Ertz, but as far as guys that they brought in, no one notable, not a soul. So I think they've been very caught up in the Cairo situation. It seems like that's going to settle down and not really mean anything. This is a team that did really next to nothing the off in this offseason. And the way that this offseason has gone, that's very surprising. It's probably going to hurt them in the long run because there's a lot of teams that are big winners of this offseason. However, there's probably also going to be some big losers, people who made moves and ended up losing players that they didn't get back the same amount of talent nearly. So hopefully Arizona can kind of tread water there with the teams that end up hurting themselves this offseason with their moves. But, I mean... It is it's weird to think about the fact that they became such an afterthought, and it's kind of justified that they're an afterthought right now. 
The other team for me, I think that's kind of striking. You would you wouldn't think of this as an underrated team that hasn't been talked about, but the Cowboys situation was interesting with Dak Prescott. Whole Amari Cooper thing happened. I think they're another team in limbo right now where they could be good, but at the same time, the upside isn't as high. Dallas also concerns me a lot. Like they're in an easy division, of course. They're going to have the inflated record that. I personally hate because they're going to be overrated every year as a Super Bowl contender. But they're another yes. team, I think, that I don't know what the upside is because it's definitely not title contention or even a trip to the uh, NFC title game. Yeah, this is a team that, again, on paper, downgraded because their like biggest moves were re-signing people and then trading away Amari Cooper. They got back James Washington in return like through a free agency signing. But, I mean, you can't convince me that James Washington is going to fill an Amari Cooper role. So they're hoping that Michael Gallup coming back from injury can really take that next step up. Because C.D. Lamb, while, yes, he's the best receiver on that team, is a slot guy. They need their outside wide receiver one threat. So that's going to have to be Michael Gallup for them. So we'll see how that plays out. But, again, a lot of re-signings. Banderesh came back. Demarcus Lawrence came back. Mookie Poker came back. It's a team that, again, I'm, I'm not even convinced that they are their division winners because it's really just with the NFC East or the NFC Beast, as I like to call them. It is kind of a toss-up because they're, they're going to drop games to each other, like, randomly. It's just, it's going to happen. It always happens. There's always a random Giants division. win. <laughs> yeah, it happens with any division because it's two teams know each other so well and they know their play style and their game plan and their playbook and all of these things. So, but I think it happens more so in the NFC East as of late because they have been so neck and neck and not really in a good way. So, I mean, maybe if Carson Wentz and the commanders like really take off together, maybe they could end up winning the division. It's really, it's always going to be somewhat wide open just because of the nature of the NFC East until one of these teams really breaks out. So Dallas to me is another team that I'm not spending too much time and energy on because I feel like as a whole, we as football fans spend far too much time and energy talking about the Cowboys. They're going to be what they're going to be, which is the division winners and a first-round exit. Yeah, that's the best way to describe it. I think a good way, because we have 15 minutes left, I want to do winners and losers because there's a lot of teams that I think we could still talk about that definitely made out well. This is, a, this is a big one for me. I think this is one that has not been talked about, and I'll go on the record to say this. A big winner for me for this offseason, uh, off the Buffalo Bills. You have to be looking at the AFC landscape right now and think we have the easiest division out of all of the AFC by far. Even the Colts, I think they're just not competitive enough where they're going to struggle sometimes like we saw last year. Then I look at it where the AFC West, four of those teams are all, all four of those teams are good. Two, they're all going to kill each other for eight weeks and only two of them are going to make it to the playoffs. I look at the AFC North and the same things there. You look at the AFC East, the Patriots didn't make much moves. The Dolphins, I still think there's a certain ceiling with Tua, and the Jets didn't make any major moves. If you're Buffalo right now, you have to be thinking like the pathway to the AFC, while competitive, is very doable to make the Super Bowl. Yeah, um, interesting take, especially considering to me I'm not really a fan of their acquisitions. But the most important thing with Buffalo is that they haven't lost much. And let's face it, I mean, they played game of the year against Kansas City in the playoffs. They proved that. They're truly in any given Sunday team where they're going to like they're going to be expected to beat most teams, and even the teams that they're not expected to beat, they absolutely can. So really, this is the definition of a true contender here. Uh, you know, they signed the right guys to extensions, and 
I mean, the like, major signing was Bob Miller, which personally I'm really not a fan of. Uh, I really hope that those like voidable back years end up being voided because a six-year contract for a guy of Bob Miller's age, over $100 million, I think it's like 120. Also, my take, that might be the worst offseason move by far for the value. I'm not going to lie. It, it's definitely up there. <laughs> it, yeah, it's um, it's it doesn't it won't actually be graded out to six year, hundred twenty mil or whatever it is. It gets more like in the range of like three year, seventy five mil because of those avoidable back years. But even that's still quite a commitment to a guy who's as old as he is, and who admittedly, I mean, he played well for the Rams, but there's going to be injury concerns with Von Miller. There have been for a couple of years. That's only going to get worse as the years tick by. You know, it's it's an okay move, but not really for the price. I think another team that did well, because Buffalo's in a similar situation, they lost some guys here and there, but I think the Los Angeles Rams kind of have to feel lucky for themselves right now, because like, the NFC QB market is not that good. It's Rodgers, it's Brady, and then I would argue Stafford third. I'm looking at the division. The Seahawks are tanking. They're not going to be good. The Niners might start Trey Lance, which I think would be great for Los Angeles, of course. I have a feeling that's going to be like a like I think Elway kind of doing like the will add by not by not subtracting or doing anything crazy. I think that kind of helped them out really much here. Yeah, um, this is another thing that's still going to contend. It's funny you mention them because if Von Miller to you is the worst free agency signing of the season so far, mine is made by the Rams. I'm not a fan of three year. Like forty-seven mil to Allen Robinson, yeah. <laughs> especially considering the year he just had. I mean, talk about a fantasy nightmare. But uh, this is—we're really hoping that you know McVay, being the offensive jester that he is, can cook something up. I mean, he's truly a mad scientist. Sometimes it pays, and sometimes it really doesn't. So, I mean, lightning might strike here, and Allen Robinson could be an example of just needed a change of scenery. But as it stands right now. Uh, I don't think it was worth nearly that much. I think they definitely overpaid, which there were definitely some overpays. Uh, Christian Kirk to the Jags is another very notable one in my eyes as a number that astounded me. But again, LA is going to be a contender just because the nature of the NFC right now, especially the NFC West, the fact that Seattle's taking a step back, Arizona is treading water at best, and San Fran's about to change a lot, like, within their own doors not really with bringing people in now but there's going to be kind of a changing of the guard in there so if that backfires then la's got a very easy path to the divisional title we talked about some of these teams i think the raiders are big winners i think the dolphins are big winners i think the teams that made the superstar moves that without overpaying did the best for sure there's a lot of get mentioned much but the chargers i really love what the chargers did i mean they got khalil mack on i believe second and a sixth to me, that's a steal. J.C. Jackson, who was one of the best defenders in free agency after the Pats, uh, kind of surprisingly cut him. Uh, he signed a five-year deal there. Uh, I believe they brought in uh, Joan Everett, and then they brought back Mike Williams, who was a big part of that offense. I know we talk about Keenan Allen a lot, but Mike Williams is really what helps Keenan be Keenan. It's kind of, They have a great like one-two punch there. So to see that continue, Herbert's going to keep, I think, getting better and better which he's already good as it is, this is going to be an exciting team. I'm a big fan of the Chargers. Yeah, the Chargers quietly, for all the media crap they got, like did pretty well too. I think there's a lot of losers here. I have a blanket category for this group, but I think 
teams that overachieved last year that thought they were good but didn't do anything definitely lost out. Teams like the Patriots. You can just call them the Vikings. It's okay. Yeah. We know what you mean. Yeah, but it's even teams like the Patriots where they go all in last year and now they lost guys and didn't do anything at all. Teams like the Vikings are a good one. I would argue the Steelers, how they go from they, – they have an opportunity to make a big move and they stick with Mike like Mitchell Trubisky as the guy yeah. to start. Like, I the, mean, if we can talk about winners and losers with the Vikings, uh, for talking about individual players, I think Kirk Cousins is a massive winner of this offseason. Oh, yeah. To me, he pulled a great move. He signed a one-year $35 million contract, and I don't remember how much it's guaranteed, but I do think it's quite a bit. And – I mean, he's been making smart career moves his entire time, refusing to sign a long-term deal when he was in Washington, which turned out to be great for him. They were going to lock him into below-average pay for six years, which, while that's fair probably for someone of like Kirk Cousins and how he's performed, the fact that he's been able to become a free agent so often with the cap exploding and really hitting the right years where teams are going to get QB needy like Minnesota – they're going to overpay, and they're going to overpay a lot. The, meanwhile, guys like Patrick Mahomes, to me, uh, I get, you know, I turn a lot of heads when I say it, but that 10-year, $500 million contract that Mahomes signed is a very team-friendly deal. And it doesn't seem like it because it's a ton of money. But when we think about, you know, how the cap's going to keep exploding and how players are going to be worth more and more, when we're working like six, seven years down the line, Mahomes is going to be getting paid like the average quarterback. And if he can keep playing, like, throughout his career, how Mahomes has been and still be one of the top quarterbacks in the league, that's going to be an absolute steal. You know, all those guys like Kirk Cousins making 35 mil, and I struggle to claim him as a top 20 quarterback in the league right now. Yeah, I definitely agree there. And, again, the contract situation is definitely a big development where, yeah, on paper it looks horrible, but in reality you front load the contract, the cap's going up, it works out pretty well for – the Chiefs and for Pat Mahomes, of course. Some other losers I had, I think Baker Mayfield's a big loser because you go from starting oh, in Baker. you go from starting in Cleveland to getting replaced by a guy with legal problems still that have not been resolved hundred percent. And now you're he kind of in limbo. Have a home right now. Yeah, and he has yeah, no he's still um honestly I think there's a very good chance he ends up uh I mean to me he has one of two options. There's a chance he could end up signing a contract with a team like Houston right now who's an absolute hell to be a starter because they're QB needy and end up doing absolutely nothing. And hopefully, you know, while the team won't perform, maybe he himself can put together a great year, re-enter free agency and establish himself as a starting quarterback. Or what might even make more sense is sign with a team like Tampa Bay, where he can sit for a year, you know, be like the best backup in the league or close to it with a quarterback who's probably on his way out, like Brady, as I do think he will retire at the end of this next year, and either assume that starting job or then enter having sat behind one of the like all-time greats and then and go to a different team with hopefully a better knowledge of the game. Because Baker certainly has all of the arm talent. His biggest question mark, as it is with most backup quarterbacks, is their decision-making. We can end on this note because I think we kind of hit all the major points. Are there any other major winners or losers in your mind for this free agency period? Yeah, major winners and losers. Um, to me, uh, I'm not a fan of the Titans. They ended up cutting Julio, which 
while I do think that was the right move, that just goes to show that they put all of their eggs in what turned out to be a failed experiment. And this is another team that we talk about, like, kind of in the same kind of boat as Arizona, where, like, they're treading water. They didn't really do much. They got Robert Woods. They signed Austin Hooper. But they brought back some key pieces. The thing is, it's the AFC South is not an inspiring division, so there is a good chance that they will still contend for that division. But a one seed in the AFC like they had this past year, absolutely out of the question to me. Because with all of these moves, at least one of these teams that we talk about being a big winner, things are going to click and they're going to pay off. Like I think the biggest uh, storyline of this offseason is the fact that things have moved so much and it has been the craziest offseason of all time. Right now, if you're treading water, if you're staying put, you're losing. Yeah, I think that's definitely, especially with the Titans too, like that's another great team we forgot about where if you're just not going to make a big move and not kind of get that next upgrade, you're just doomed to be a 10-7 and 17 that loses in the first round. Like it's just a reality. And you brought up some good points, so I think we can end the pot on that note. Definitely going to have you on because if we thought the offseason was over, there's still moves going on to this day that need to be covered. And of course the draft yep. is going to be here. There's still a draft, yeah. And we're going to see especially uh, come training camps. Like, there's going to be teams that are changing up their play style. They're changing up schemes, both offensively and defensively. And that's always an underrated part of a team's transformation. We're, we can look at these names and talk about what we think is going to happen all we want. But at the end of the day, it is scheme fits that end up mattering. It's how a team plays. It's how these players play. Not necessarily most name value wins. Yeah, I will say the most fascinating thing I'm looking forward to is like an over-under pod for the conferences because that's going to be a lot. I think more than I've ever done it before, it might be the most like guessing and hypotheticizing, I guess, than actual, I know this team's going to be good or I know this team's not going to be good. That's another big one right there. Yeah, this upcoming season is going to be very tough to predict because so many things are changing. It really feels like there's a changing of the guard in the NFL right now both on the team level of teams finding different players and identities and all of their stars switching about, and also with situations like the cap exploding and how now, right now, there's drafts that we're going to have an amazing years and the garbage years back-to-back instead of being kind of studied with the output of college stars. There's so much changing in the NFL right now that it's really beginning to feel like the dawn of a new era. I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, dawn of an era is definitely the best way to put it. Austin, another great episode. Thank you for joining. Of course, anytime.